Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening. Uh, hello, or whatever it is, wherever you are, this is Jane and... Jane. Jane, with another uh, episode it is an episode in our lives of Off Air. Uh, we have a guest today. It, we didn't have one yesterday. We just had to battle through, didn't we? I think we filled the time admirably. Yeah, I think we did too, but then I'm not sure we're all that objective. <laughs> um, politics intervened yesterday. Today, um, we do have a guest and it's Kat Bohannon, who's an American academic and author of a seminal work, Jane. Um, I don't know if you've read it yet. It's huge. So you will have to take a couple of months off to read it, but I urge you to, uh, certainly peruse at least eve how the female body drove 200 million years of human evolution it does sound brilliant well it is brilliant i mean i'm not sure this interview really does it justice just because there just isn't the time to really go into all the exquisite details included in this book it took this woman a decade to write it you know is it as big as sapiens which i also haven't read i haven't read that either Uh, i think i did consider buying it it's on my shelf, so I think by osmosis I'm going to learn something. I've probably absorbed all sorts of books just by brushing up against them <laughs> in lending libraries. I think that's all you need to do. I'm very much looking forward to hearing your interview, though, with her. Well, you'll learn a lot about your own body and how it works. Uh, talking of books, uh, you were going to try to read, in a very speedy fashion, Britney Spears' memoir, and um, it's been in t- it's been reviewed just about everywhere. I'm just look. There's a Telegraph review of it. There was a Guardian review. They pretty much say the same thing which is wow um Mm. this is quite quite a ride isn't it this poor woman Uh, it's called the woman in me it's by britney spears and you really feel she has written it uh well she's definitely had some help right yeah no i've not Um, but but it's her story it is her story and what a tragic story it is i knew quite a lot about her and the conservatorship and the things that she's been through yeah because i watched the free britney um framing britney spears the brilliant New York Times documentary that came Mm. out a couple of years ago and but this goes so much deeper than that uh the details of what were done to her in that conservatorship I mean her father controlled what she eat what she wore who she went out with when she wanted to date someone she says in the book uh they would have to sign an NDA they would have a background check run on them and they'd have to have a blood sample before she could go out on a first date with them her father controlled I mean literally every part of her life while profiting enormously of everything she did and forcing her out on tour. But also, it's just, you see the way in which... It's funny, she comes across in the book, particularly in the early part, as being very young and very naive still. And as the book goes on, 
you do get a real sense of her voice and her rage yes. at all the ways in which she has been dismissed and controlled while making pots and pots of money for other people her entire life. And, and you know, she, she writes really well about the, the incident where she was supposedly going mad and shaving her head. I mean, she just had her two children taken off her and people were trying to, you know, medicate her, put her into hospital. Uh, I mean, I think shaving your head publicly is probably the, the least that you would do in, in those circumstances. Yes, well, here, here to that. Um, it's also clear that from a very early age, her life was a bit, I mean, her parents' marriage was terrible. There was a lot of shouting. He, yeah. was, he was a heavy drinker. He was a heavy drinker. And then she became the biggest earner in the family. Absolutely. When she was tiny. Bought them a house still before she was 20. Um, it's, yeah. it's really extraordinary. I mean, she, in some ways, I think she grew up very fast. And in, in other ways, when you read the book, there's a real sense of arrested development mm. because of yeah, being put out into the, the showbiz world as a young woman mm. and everything that went with it. I mean, there's also the passages about Justin Timberlake and the abortion. He hasn't responded to anything in this book. But I have to say, Justin Timberlake does not come off well in this book. Well, no, he doesn't. I mean, is uh, uh, Neil McCormick in The Telegraph... I should actually have a Times article in front of me, but for whatever reason, I've got one from The Telegraph. Well, when I do my review later I, in the week, I'll, Jane, I please will, read it out from beginning no, to end. I, no, but I will. <laughs> um, and I will certainly mention it, I can assure you. Um, and um, Neil just draws attention to this occasion where he basically insisted that she had an, an abortion and it was without anaesthetic of any kind. And by way of attempting to comfort her, uh, Timberlake is said to have strummed his acoustic guitar. What a prat. My margin notes just contain so many exclamation marks around there. Um, it's like that scene in the Barbie film, if you've seen it. It's just, I mean, it's almost yeah. comical, the idea of this sort of boy band member strumming his guitar as she lies on the bathroom floor in agony, having a secret abortion because she couldn't go, they wouldn't let her go to hospital in case anybody knew. I mean, the whole thing is just gothic horror. It really yeah. is. Well, it really is. And I've, I've, I've kind of, I was just too old for Britney Spears. I just didn't pay much attention to her and I am going to read this book because I think it's it's another classic tale of double standards in, in the music world and you were saying earlier to me that you you thought it probably would still happen? I, unfortunately, I mm. do still think it would happen, yes. Yeah. I think that particularly for women, I think the music industry is so sexist and commodifies women's bodies, women's talent, women's youth in a way that men are allowed to be messy and honest and mm. women are just not and they are controlled and packaged and commodified. I will say apart from I think Taylor Swift who I think is extraordinary for the level of control she exerts over her career. She seems to be seems in to command be. now, mm. certainly now she's bought everything back from yeah. that guy. What was he? he had a really funny name. Scout? He's something like that, isn't he? Um, Thank mm. you. Thank you, Eve. I tell you what, she's an absolute legend, isn't she? She is. She's got it all at her fingertips. Well, she has, which is exactly what what, what I don't have. <laughs> so we do need to hear. Thank but you I will say it's definitely worth a read. Um, mm. It won't take you very long. No. Um, it's not a difficult read, but it is, a, I think, an important read, actually. I mean, she's such a huge figure in the pop culture of the early noughties. And, you know, she's only 41 and you think of everything that's happened to her. Yeah. It's a very cautionary tale as well about the entertainment industry. I'm, I wasn't thinking of entering it. Well, I suppose loosely speaking, I'm in it. I, I find you very entertaining. <laughs> Cheers. Um, <laughs> I, and I certainly think I'm more or less in command of what... I, but actually, it's a serious point. 
uh, to be manipulated in the way mm. she was when she was so young by some people who should have had her best interests. Oh, ugh, the whole thing is stinky. Yeah, it really, it is. really is. Okay, um, we were talking yesterday about... Uh, have you seen... It's from our regular correspondent in the States, Ruthie, who's talking about the New York subway. Have you seen that oh, one? Oh, no, I haven't. Jane Mulcairns will know this, she says. Uh, we were talking yesterday about how grim you were beginning to find the subway in the States, having previously thought of it as pretty good or well, I mean, it was always safe. grim it was right, always okay. grim but um it got a lot worse well um ruthie says it's grim because absolutely nobody pays the fare and so consequently the mta has got no money for repairs and upkeep instead of the tube style tall barriers the new york transit system has opted for turnstiles so small that even geriatrics can hop over them in a single move <laughs> this is very true i'm not sure i've seen I it could. happen i've seen people with sticks manage oh to God. leap over those barriers um, she also says this also means that the homeless population can sneak into the stations to keep warm or sleep on the trains i rarely see the police at stations and they never arrest anybody for turnstile jumping or so i thought uh, one reason i pay aside from being an upstanding citizen is because I was once caught for fair evasion. I'd find I'd found a metro card on the pavement, saw it still had a couple of days travel on it. It did say student on the card, but I'm fairly petite and moderately deluded. <laughs> so I thought I could pass as one. What I didn't realise was that this student card was for school children up to the age of 11. As I swiped <laughs> the card and moved through the gate, a police officer approached me with a look of disdain reserved only for the type of imposter who thinks she can use a child's metro card at the age of 38. <laughs> she goes on to say she's learned her lesson, doesn't do that anymore. I will say that she is right about the numbers of, of fair dodgers. Yeah. Uh, and a, a huge absence, not just of police, but of staff of any sort yeah. on those stations. Um, I Even during the day, I've been in stations where you know, people are defecating and... You don't know really what's happening. There's no one to tell. It's uh, which is one of the reasons they can feel quite edgy late at night. But I will also say the MTA is also enormously corrupt. There was a wonderful investigation into it in New York Magazine a few years ago, and you know the fares that they do collect, who knows where they go? It's, oh, really? it's notoriously corrupt and okay. incredibly badly managed. Right. We don't need so, an allegedly in there. We can just keep that in, can we? Uh, well, so that New York Magazine said. According to New York Magazine. Okay, I think that's probably got us covered. Um, just talking about um, travelling here on public transport in London, I can't speak for the rest of the country, although Mersey Rail, I can't speak for them. They've just got some new trains. They're absolutely lovely. Uh, they don't smell. Uh, there was something very distinctive about the smell of Mersey Rail. It seems to have cleared up, or at least it's not. <laughs> it's not. Uh, on the new trains. Uh, anyway, um, why was I saying... Oh, I know, because I've noticed a marked increase in the number of people begging on the London Underground. And, and this there has to be a reason for this. It mm. did ebb away. It is now very much back. And you get these, these very... I mean, they are desperate souls, and they sort of shuffle down the carriages, sometimes holding a sign. Mm. Uh, it's just... And, and if we're honest, we all do that... Our body language is, it's rather, we, we are pathetic as passengers because we all just do everything in our power not to take a damn bit of notice. And none of us have any change anymore. And that's the because thing, of cards. No, I don't I, have a fiver. I, I have remembered when I have some coins on me, which is rare, Yeah. but, but to be able to have them so that I can give them to people who are begging because it, I do think, I don't know what people who beg rely on now. Um, no. I have to say, I, I when I went to the, when I moved to the US in 2010, which was just a few months after the coalition government had got in. I know that in London, 
they were very proud that Labour were very proud of the fact that they had pretty much eradicated rough sleeping. Mm. So there was, there was homelessness, of course, there yeah. was long term homelessness, but they had pretty much eradicated rough sleeping. And I was very shocked when I moved back in 2021 to see the level of visible homelessness that mm. we see now. It's under, you know, we've had, you know, years of austerity, and I think you can really you can track that. The evidence is there. The evidence yeah. is there. Yeah. Um, happier news from uh, the Republic of Ireland from uh, Sevda, who says, Jane, I live in Galway. Jane's, Ooh. she actually says, hello, Jane's, I live in Galway. We don't have a tube. But in Dublin, they have what's called, now I'm going to get this pronunciation wrong, Luas. Lewis. 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 Yes, Lewis, Lewis is Irish for speed and pronounced Lewis, there she says, go. in all fairness. Um, so the locals have renamed it the Daniel Day. <laughs> <laughs> very good. That is very good. Uh, yes, we should always Galway's should my, my native it, is that, are land. You, oh, your Mark Harris from Galway. From, yes, oh, okay. from Galway. Right. Um, I want to make an apology. Is this about um, lesbians? It's not about lesbians. Well, we'll get on to them get in a minute. To lesbians. Yes, well, we will. Um, first of all, um, I'm sorry for being repetitious and for being annoying to uh, Caroline, um, who usually loves your guests, but has apparently taken against me. What have you done? Um, I'm sure she won't be the last to do so. So yesterday, she was triggered by my reference to jet lag as mind over matter. So apparently when I first said this on the podcast some months ago, that's the thing I'm really sorry about. Well, it was probably me making you say it again. So listen, (laughs) I'm also sorry. Really sorry. So Caroline says when she heard it yesterday, she was suffering the most horrendous jet lag, having recently returned from Europe to Australia, where she lives. Anyway, listening while on an early morning walk because I was unable to sleep past 3.30am, dealing with two very tired children and a tired husband, I was incandescent with rage to hear JM refer to the jet laggers in my mind. I assure you it is a very real thing, particularly when a trip to the US or Europe takes anywhere between 13 and 30 hours. I was then in too fragile a state to write to you, Caroline says, but when I heard her repeat the tape statement today, I decided I was mentally stable enough to put pen to paper, so to speak. Jane, I am willing to forgive you, but please, for the sake of Antipodeans or anyone who lives a long way from anywhere else, stop saying jet lag is all in our minds. Um, I am very sorry, Caroline. I've also spent a long time in Australia and New Zealand, and all I can say is I won't mention it again, but maybe I could send you some melatonin. I'm a big fan. Helps reset your body clock. Yeah, you've said it that. To make it up. Can I make it up to you, Caroline? Let us know. Yeah, um, that's basically that's a bribe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if if you send her melatonin, does she promise to keep quiet? I don't know. She I can... mean, I, I where would I be if I couldn't repeat myself? <laughs> <laughs> certainly, I certainly wouldn't be here. Not on the radio. No, definitely not on the radio. Right, sexuality. Because we were talking yesterday. Well, we had a really interesting email from an anonymous correspondent, just saying, well, the gist of it, and I'm slightly hesitant to paraphrase it, was just that. Uh, she, I think, was 41 or 42? 43. 43, yeah. okay. Had started dating a woman. It was the first time she'd ever done it, and she doesn't ever think she'll look back. Absolutely. That, that Life was very, very much the gist. Okay. And she wondered why other women hadn't done it or perhaps had not considered it, wherever the reason might be. Um, interesting response to this. Anonymous says, have you heard of COMPUT, um, compulsory heterosexuality, whereby women are fed the norm so much as we grow up that we never question whether we're attracted to men or women. I think this happened to me. I decided I was attracted to all genders in my early 40s, but I think I'd always been, but had never put a name to it or thought about it in great detail, as I really wouldn't have known where to start and had always dated men. As soon as I decided I was going to try and date women, this is where life gets complicated, I love this, I met a man. (laughs) 
<laughs> who I consider to be very emotionally intelligent compared to my previous boyfriends. I'm going to stick with him for now. I it's, like the for now. For, yeah, it's early days. But I would date any gender from this point on. I think that email is absolutely wonderful. And I, I think Anonymous is probably right. I think we are fed that norm. But I also think that's particularly perhaps an age thing. I, mm. I, as we were saying yesterday, I don't think young people today are fed that norm or accepting that mm. norm. Um, and I think, but you do want, I do and I think the world has changed and I think homosexuality, particularly amongst women, mm. is hundreds of thousands of times more acceptable than even 25 years ago. Well, it wasn't... Uh, lesbianism was so invisible, it wasn't even banned. No, because Queen Victoria <laughs> didn't believe that women would ever go to <laughs> yeah. bed with each other, did I she? Mean, I mean, I think about this. I, I wonder about... I, there was When I was growing up, there was a, a couple of women who lived together in our street, and I, I suppose... I, they were, I think I can't remember what they were called, or actually I can remember, but I won't say. And I have no idea what what, what that. And, and I think you know, I was trying to come in, in middle of a night a couple of weeks ago. I was going through all the old neighbours that I remember from the nineteen sixties and seventies. Is that you're getting to sleep? Well, it kind of is. <laughs> and they, they suddenly popped into my head. And I thought, oh yeah, actually, yeah. what was going on there? I mean, by the way, more power to them. Yeah, um, they were slightly. I remember they were very frightening. We weren't allowed to ride our bikes past their house because they didn't like they didn't like the noise that kids made. Maybe they, it's sound, just, they sound very wise and sensible. Maybe it was just me they didn't like. Um, on the same note from yeah. yesterday's discussion, there is another very good email. Dear Jane and Jane, I'm not sure about your listeners' advice for women to try dating women if they find that men aren't emotionally mature enough for them. I'm a gay woman and have had a couple of relationships where people seem to have used me as an emotional respite centre from all the men they've dated who have been inadequate slash annoying slash hurtful for whatever reason. Can you guess what ends up happening? They end up feeling better, realise they're not truly into women and they go on and find a nice man to date. It doesn't feel great from here. Please, says our lovely listener, don't use lesbians as an experiment if the attraction isn't there at the start. That said, of course, women are fantastic and I'd fully support more potential partners joining the pool, if only so I can find someone myself. She says, as to Jane's point about this not even being a topic in 20 years' time, I hope she's right. For what it's worth, I think everyone is somewhat bi unless they say otherwise. I'd never assume that I knew someone's sexuality for sure, based on which kind of relationship they were in. Whether someone is ready to step outside societal norms is a different issue. Unfortunately, it's still much easier to be straight in this world. I'm mid-30s for reference. I think that is really interesting. Mm. I, I agree with the listener. I think there is a spectrum of sexuality and I think people are on it. Yeah. And, they, and I don't think it's fixed. This is what I think was interesting about what we were talking about yesterday. This idea that our sexuality is fixed and immutable mm. is another thing that we've been taught. I think, you know, that, that that's yes. an identity and it doesn't change. And I think it changes. I think we change, we grow up. Um, our I needs are different. Our needs are different. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. different. I wonder whether I mean, there's no. Are there people? Are there people? There can't be anyone listening to this because people who listen to this are are quite clued up. There can't be anyone who's truly a hundred percent anything. No, Surely not. I, I don't think so. No, or would would declare themselves a hundred percent. I'm a hundred percent heterosexual. Well, if you're female, I'd suggest you may not have met the right met the right woman. The right woman. That, that would probably be it. I mean, I just, I just. Oh, anyway. I mean, I, I'm really interested in this subject. So please do keep your thoughts coming. And I really love that line 
Uh, don't use me, says yeah. our lesbian listener, as an emotional respite centre from the men you've dated. I think it's really important. I bet that does make. happen, and of I bet course. it really, really hurts. It's so annoying, yeah. wouldn't it? It's so annoying. Um, as Fee's not here, I can indulge myself. Well, actually, you're Irish too, so that's all right. Uh, Irish royalty is this email <laughs> from Diane. Um, I often think, she says, that you make the podcast exclusively for me. Well, we do. Uh, it's just a its a secret. It really is a secret. Now you've completely ruined it, Diane, because <laughs> you've told everybody. As there are so many parallels with my own life. I live on the Shoals, show's fault line of Crosby. Um, that is where I came from. And my children attend the same school as Jane once did. Yes. Oh, is there a picture of Jane in the corridors anywhere? Can you please let us know? No, there isn't. Oh. Uh, there isn't, but I have done prize giving. However, when Jane mentioned how her gran from Bootle told her she was descended from Irish royalty, I almost spat my tea out. <laughs> Growing up, I too was told the same story of my blue blood, blue blood from my Irish grandparents who also lived in Bootle. There was me thinking I was the only princess around these parts. Uh, could we be related? I bet we are, Diane, almost certainly related, not least because one of my great-great-grandmothers had, I think, 16 children, 14 or 16. So I'm probably pretty re- much everyone. I'm, I'm related to yeah. probably almost everybody in Liverpool, yeah, uh, some way along the line. But, yes, there's a lot of royalty from the Bootle area, uh, not necessarily English royalty <laughs> or British. But, anyway, as we all know, they're German, Greek and yeah, various other things. Yeah, English either. The Irish royalty is like the real thing. Exactly. Yeah. Um... I've got a couple of emails here pulling you and Fee up on something. Is it grammar? Yeah, it is grammar. Well, get it over with quickly. I will get it over with really quickly. Apparently, you two often say, or Fee, who isn't here to defend herself, often says, Leave the poor woman alone. Jane and I. Mm. Um, One of these emails comes from, and I'm not sure if this is his real title or he's just doing it to be a little bit facetious, George Hewitt, FBA, Professor Emeritus, I can't even say it, it's such a big... Emeritus. Emeritus of Caucasian languages at SOAS. London University, that's the um, School of Oriental and African Studies, isn't it? Anyway, Professor George says, um, yeah, Fee often says, topic for Jane and I, and apparently it should be for Jane and me. Now, I was never taught grammar properly. I'm weirdly quite good at it, but I don't know why. Mm. It's. I guess you would say a topic for me, and if you're saying someone, some, and me, you say, and me, not I. Um, I'm just my mum not... was an English teacher and oh, she, she would, she, yeah. She, oh, must yeah. Be, she must have taught you. I never got taught formal grammar. I okay. slipped through the net. So everything I know is just when my mum slapped me around the head and told me that was wrong. Right, okay. Less and fewer. Oh, if I ever said less instead of fewer. Oh, no, well, I... Uh, used yeah. to get a book around the head. But, I mean, I'm the, I'm the first one to criticise Fee when she's here, but I won't have her slagged <laughs> off when she's not here. So um, I'll save it for next week when she gets back. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's the end of it. Look, leave the poor girl alone. <laughs> um, one more before we get to our guest, Kat Bohannon. One more from me, anyway, I should say. Oh, yesterday, this is quite a good theme, actually, of granddads who made the wrong move. Um, yesterday we heard about the grandfather who <laughs> was a very gifted cartoonist and animator but turned down the chance to work on Disney's Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. That little known film. He didn't think it would work. And here's another one uh, from Sarah who says in the early 1930s my grandfather was offered the chance to invest in a new retail outlet by a business associate called Jack Cohen. At the time most people either had food delivered to their house or shopped at tiny individual stores. The butchers, the baker etc. My grandfather thought that shopping in one outlet for every foodstuff would simply never catch on. So he turned down the chance to invest in what later became Tesco. Keep up the good work (laughs) from Sarah. Thank you, Sarah. We will attempt to do exactly that. Um, It's a shame, isn't it? 
can I have a quick one about brassiers before we yeah, go? Yeah, always. Um, I thought you might say that. Uh, this is from Marion, who says she was listening to your chat last week about women being held in and corseted. Mm-hmm. This year, her 63rd, she is dabbling with unwired brassiers for the first time. Mm-hmm. She's bought a number, which have gone back to the shop, as she is now more comfortable, but no longer has pert round bosoms, mm-hmm. rather a mono boob. <laughs> she says it's okay in winter when draped in layers of woolens as she lives in Scotland. She says, by summer, I may have found a brand that gives a nicer shape or finally come to terms with my lack of youthful pertness, but all advice is welcome. Um, so, unwired brassiere advice. <sighs> Not my area. I mean, I just always, I'm sorry, but like everything, I, I just go to M&S for it. I go to the other place. You, oh, yeah. You go to the posh place, don't you? Oh, well, I just think if it was good enough for the late queen. Yeah. Uh, it was good enough. It is good enough for me. It is good enough for you. You see, I yeah, I, I've never bought a posh brazier. Well, well, just I know. I know. Obviously, now you're thinking, wow, let's just have a quick gander at Jane to see whether <laughs> I can't uh, help it. <laughs> whether that investment was actually worth it. Um, well, I've got. I mean, as one ages, one's bosom just does change, along with the rest of us, as we alluded to earlier. Uh, and I personally, I cannot even go downstairs without a bra on first thing in the morning. I know people who sleep in them and swear by yeah, it. I also Including know. Elizabeth Hurley. Oh, does she? Yep, swears by it. Well, I don't yeah. know if that's venturing into unhygienic territory. The listeners will know. Yeah. Uh, Jane and Fee at times.radio. Do you sleep in a bra? And do you think it's a good idea? Let's stick with women's bodies because our guest today is Kat Bohannon, author of... Do you see how I did that? Oh, Wasn't that, that was brilliant? so slick. Uh, Eve, <laughs> How the Female Body Drove 200 Million Years of hum- Human Evolution. Um, women's bodies, of course, are very different from men's. You may have noticed that. Um, women live longer. Uh, they have a stronger sense of smell, for example. Uh, women's bodies can allow uh, birth, uh, breastfeeding. Um, but the complications of menstrual cycles and pregnancy can mean, not always, but can mean that female bodies don't get included in medical research. And that leads inevitably to substandard care, medical care, for women and girls in later life. So uh, let's get to Kat's book. It took her 10 years to write, so she's put a lot of work in here. And I started by asking her about a point she makes in the book, stating that females are more common on this planet despite the fact that actually more baby boys are born? Uh, the exact mechanisms are unclear. Okay. Um, it is true that there's a very, very slight difference in the sex of human babies that are born every year. Um, but then the problem is, of course, that those male babies uh, will, across their lifespan from babyhood on, uh, have more infections and more cancer and generally die more. So we outlive them. We may start out with a certain number, but by the time we arrive later in lives, we're not dying more every single year yes, than okay. the males. It's a little bit of revenge towards the end then unintentional but sure yeah yeah okay well we'll take it we'll probably have to um i suppose what i'm really asking is that the female of the species is not studied in the same way we know that as the male of the species and is it just too simple to say that's because in the past precisely because of the female body we were too busy having children and bringing them up to involve ourselves in the study of the human body therefore it was left to the men and they tended to assume that everything worked the way their bodies did. 
I think it's absolutely right that having more women researchers in labs is certainly driving some of the new interest in women's bodies. But it's actually more of a philosophical problem. It's that all the way down to when we're studying rats, we're mostly studying male rats because the menstrual cycle, what in other species is called the estrus cycle, is thought of as a confound, a complication. We're just so complicated, Jane. Yeah. So so the idea is you're making a cleaner experiment if you're not using the females. So the easiest way to get rid of that was to just not study them. Unfortunately, that means by the time we arrive all the way up in biomedical research, uh, it hasn't been studied on any female bodies. Many medications on the market right now have never been properly tested in female bodies, which and, is... And that does that make us at risk then? Yes. Right. Yes, absolutely so, particularly when it comes to opioid drugs. we pro- These are common painkillers. Uh, we process them differently through our livers. Your liver doesn't have a pronoun, but it does have a sex. Okay, your cells are expressing genes differently in there with two X chromosomes. And that's why many women need more of some of these drugs in order to achieve the same pain relief. And then how it leaves our bodies has that different slope. Yeah. So can women just not be involved in drugs trials because, for example, they might be pregnant at any given time and and that might have all kinds of detrimental impacts? Well, it's absolutely the case that for many single women, the idea that we are merely an empty vessel waiting to be pregnant is a problem. However, at least in the scientific realm, it's true that we didn't want to mess up our babies. We didn't want to include women in trials that might have unknown consequences for potential fetuses. So best not to include them. Unfortunately, given how different our physiology actually is, we really need to do better. In the U.S. now, the regulations are changing. We're starting to include women in trials, but they're still under-enrolled. We need to keep our feet on that pedal to keep this moving forward. I know we don't want to focus exclusively on pregnancy and birth, but nevertheless, they are both remarkable. And as you make very clear in the book, dangerous things. Oh, dear Lord, yes. Yeah, And we don't actually acknowledge that often enough. Well, you know, there's this thing, just because it's normal doesn't mean it's okay, right? So we normalize the idea of human birth because we see others doing it and we sort of don't talk about the taboo of how absolute crap it is. But it's actually true across primates, uh, for the majority of primates and across mammals, that our pregnancies, births and postpartum recoveries are longer, harder and more prone to dangerous complications than they are for these other animals. Humans in particular suck at this. We're just no good at reproducing in that way. Yeah, we're just really not particularly good, which is precisely why Lucy, the old furry hominin, Australopithecine, 3.2 million years ago, had a midwife. Yeah, we're one of the only species that does that. You mean actually had somebody with her to help her through. Right, and we've stuck to that idea. Right. Um, Can we just go back to why we as humans don't just lay eggs? Because that surely is that safer but it would also keep us in one place i guess there are many many sensible advantages to laying eggs um, and the majority of animals in the world that have such reproductive systems still very much do it's really only because of the asteroid in fact that uh, we placentals managed to produce so many of these bodies throughout the world we filled in the niches the smoking holes left when the dinosaurs died out right um, which is why we also outnumber marsupials remember pouch instead of no pouch yeah we placentals outnumber them before the dinosaurs died, we didn't. That's also why we only have a single vagina instead of two. They have two. 
Yeah. Um, obviously, childbirth is very different in various parts of the world. Mm. But actually, it's still... I mean, we have had any number of scandals in this country, frankly, uh, within the NHS and involving healthcare and the way women and very young babies are cared for. Mm. Is it... Has anywhere in the world got this completely right, do you think? I think we can always do better, particularly by women and girls. I think it's okay for us all to agree on that. I think it's absolutely the case that in places in the world where um, caretaking is valued, women are more valued. Yeah, I think in places in the world where the body is seen as a thing, you have the right to be in and live a healthy life, then women are better cared for. You talk too about how women's bodies change in really any number of ways during pregnancy and those heightened senses. Mm. Um, you can smell everything. Mm -hmm. Your appetite is quite bizarre. Mm -hmm. You might suddenly crave things you've never liked before. Mm -hmm. But if I'm honest with you, although I've, I've been pregnant, I can't actually bring those sensations back now yeah as soon as it's they just go don't they it's very very yeah. bizarre yeah 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 there are a couple of reasons why that might be one is that maybe we don't want to remember fair enough right maybe also that there are such radical physiological brain changes especially during the third trimester if one makes it there and then after birth that um you may well literally be losing those <laughs> memories as you go on literally making way in the brain for that new bonding with the baby and learning your new social role as a new mother in our complex human environments, right? So your brain changed, uh, which is fine and good and probably has a long evolutionary past. Um, but that might be why it's hard to bring it back. And if you ever want to get a controversial conversation going on a, a show, a radio show or any other kind of show aimed largely at women, mm. discuss breastfeeding because you will always get <laughs> two very, very polarised sets of opinions coming at you. Oh, and yeah. there's a lot in this book about breastfeeding. And it's a it, if it works for you, it's a joyful mm -hmm. and magical thing. If yeah. it doesn't, it's among the toughest things that you'll ever do and some of the hor most horrible experiences you'll ever have. Absolutely. And um, you talk about nipples because they, I mean, they, they had to evolve along with everything else. What happened before nipples? Right, so the duck-billed platypus uh, is often used as an older model of mammals, still lays eggs, uh, does lactate, has no nipples, sweats out, effectively sweats, it's endocrine glands, all of her milk through sweaty little patches on her stomach and the babies slurp it up through their bills. Now, the interesting thing about nipples as uh, an evolutionary add-on is what it ended up creating was this two-way communication path between suckling babies and the mother's, well, breast, right? Because it creates a vacuum when you suckle. But the focus of the vacuum when the baby suckles moves back and forth. So what happens is the milk comes over the top, kind of like a tide, like the wave on a shore. But there's an undertow literally sucking the baby's spit back up into the mother's breast where her immune system is reading it like some kind of ancient code and changing the content of the milk to suit. So right. sick babies get different milk because the boob is literally reading that spit inside uh, than babies that are not sick. Wow. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's um, quite remarkable. It is. But again, breast pumps, great technology. Use that if your baby's bad at latching. Mine was. OK, right. And don't despair. If you're, mm. if you're, I always just think whenever you're talking about breastfeeding, there might be someone listening who's having the most terrible time of her life. Don't worry, because in the end, one day your kid will grow up. They'll be a horrible teenager. And the last thing they'll ever want to talk about is whether or not they were ever breastfed. They and then therefore they punish care. them by doing so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And also true, um, remember that if nipples are a later evolutionary add-on, maybe it's OK that babies are not that great at latching on.
Makes sense, doesn't yeah. it? And yeah. why do men have nipples? Men have nipples because we are mammals. And it may have been too much of a change to eliminate that in the basic build plan of your central torso uh, than to just sort of keep them on. But it's absolutely true, in fact, that uh, trans women who want to breastfeed their babies take the exact same hormone protocol, same fistful of pills to induce lactation as cis women who want to breastfeed babies that they've adopted. And biologically, it's the same stuff. They tested it. Actually, same ratio of milk and sugars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful situation. Okay, so in extremis then, a man man could, if not feed a baby, they could comfort one who needed that that closeness. Yes, and in fact, in a hunter-gatherer society called the Aka, uh, they do have a tradition tradition of men uh, being uh, suckling stand-ins while the women go hunt. Okay, uh, that's, are they the only people that we know that definitely do that as a matter of routine? Well, I'm sure somewhere in Brooklyn, New York. But I mean, as an actual population of people, they're the ones we've studied. Okay. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Now, considering how our lives and experiences and our bodies have changed over the course of millions of years, I wanted to know from Kat why we haven't evolved out of the bloody nuisance of periods. Whole different relationship to calendars and our underwear. Yes, all of this. Yeah, 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 yeah. And of course, the pain of it, just the flop sweat of cramps. Dear Lord, yeah, yeah. Well, the funny thing, or well, funny is the wrong word. The thing about evolution is that we have many traits that are detrimental to our well-being and certainly to our happiness, but are not so detrimental that they impact our fitness, our biological fitness, right? For example, the way we make babies is still objectively terrible, right? In any, just about any way you might want to measure it as a biologist, as a medical professional, sure. Why haven't we evolved to do better? Well, it takes a long time to change a trait. And maybe changing that trait would have had knock-on effects that killed us off in other ways. What we do, what humans are famous for, is working around it behaviorally through our local cultural practices, through what we do with our bodies, and certainly uh, through gynecology. And there are some really positive things about, um, well, certainly about having children. And I loved what you said about the, the voice and the fact that a mother begins to speak in a way that she has never spoken before, actually in the minutes after the child is born. And um, it's very hard to actually remember that time, but they are very special moments. And then you suddenly start using this funny voice that you've 
never never used before. Mother ease. But I now I've realised mm. to my horror cat I was using it to my cat this morning. Oh and that's yeah, a dangerous yeah. time. They even in science it's been named when we talk to dogs they call it doggerel. They've okay. named mm. the way and it's right. strikingly similar to mother ease. Uh, when we are caring for uh, a being that is dependent on us we have this urge it seems we human beings to change the cadence of our voice yeah. and the pitch and oh who's a cute little baby. You see that variation in pitch I just did there? Yeah. It turns out it actually helps babies acquire language for for babies that have hearing. But why act- do we do it? Which is to say it's unclear if it's just the habit of learning it from those around us, right? A kind of social learning model, or if we are directly evolved to speak in this way, even having never heard it, because there are very few human beings who are born without hearing it from somewhere else, right? But there are known advantages that when you do that to your baby, that baby acquires language more efficiently. And do they then know it's you? They know it's you, actually, if they are babies who have uh, the normal range of hearing. Right, of course, yeah. uh, Because they heard your voice in the womb. Yes, and so that there is that immediate connection. The immediate dyad, yeah. And it's called in science a dyad, that communicative pair of, of mother and offspring is profoundly ancient. I did um, hear years and years ago that women talk in a different way to daughters and, and sons and that they might actually communicate more with daughters... It, it, bizarrely because they think that the daughters are going to be interested in what they've got to say. I haven't seen that data. Okay, I don't I know mean, those studies, oh, but that is fascinating and I'm going to go dig in. I'm yeah. going to go dig in. That's really, really interesting. I imagine that's culturally dependent, right? In the same way that in some cultures, uh, boy babies are taken more often to the clinic because they are either more valued or literally it's just expensive to take a kid to a clinic and you have to make choices, which we all have sympathy for. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Gosh. a diagnosis bias, right? We always have to be careful in global data whether or not uh, diagnoses between the sexes are actually because of the body or because of the culture, because it's expensive in many places in the world to take a baby to the yeah, clinic. That yeah, that really is, that's food for thought, isn't yeah. it? Um, you talked too about IQ tests and um, uh, they do favour uh, the male. Um, but At a certain age. At a certain age, but mm-hmm. as you also point out, they are devised on the whole by men. Is that fair? Yeah, uh, they are at originally. How about that? Originally, yes, there are many incredibly standout uh, women scientists, uh, women of color, who are working very, very hard in cognitive psychology and in test design to make it more equitable. For sure, for sure, for sure. But it does seem to be the case that even in these studies for general intelligence, what we call IQ tests, um, that there are some questions that seem designed to favor certain populations. Um, They're working on it, but let's say it's still unfair. Right, but men are not cleverer than women. I don't think so. No, I don't think so. It really depends what you mean by clever, right? Because often when we're talking about smarts, we're talking about what we admire necessarily in men. So already there's a problem, right? Just in the science, there can be a problem. Mm. But no, um, even when it comes to mathematics, which is the most debated space around whether or not males have an innate advantage in mathematics, mm, the numbers don't exactly pan out. There's a very, very, very small, vanishingly small signal, okay, around spatial logic. You picture a box in your head and you rotate it and how fast you can answer those kinds of questions correctly, that's spatial logic, okay. There's a slight male advantage, but if the female test takers are given more time, 
they also come up with the right answers. Okay, but sometimes we might just have to give give men give men a couple of wins. I mean, if it, it might ha- make them happy. You know, well, I'm, I mean, they are dying sooner, so they should have something. Well, yeah, this is actually you say this. You say that the real tragedy of the menopause mm. is it's the beginning of a time in your life when you're going to meet some tough challenges if you're a heterosexual female, because it may very well be that you're approaching the time when your partner might die. Yes, absolutely. I mean, that's a big... I have not arrived at old age yet, but I know it's coming. And there are people I love who I'll lose. That's just how that goes. Um, And it's true that even if you're not heterosexual, there are men that you love dearly, your brothers, your friends. There are people in your life who have a shortened lifespan compared to you. And I think that lifespan gap is actually only going to get bigger as our medicine improves because many of the ways in which we are improving on lifespan in general are in many ways, favoring female bodies, despite the dearth of research. Our bodies are just better across the board at not dying, which sounds great, but is also deeply tragic. So that's the future of gerontology. That's what we really need to fix. Okay. Um, And you also say that um, every power men have ever had over women is something that we gave them. We just forgot. We forgot we can stop. Mm -hmm. Now, you also, throughout the book, acknowledge that men have physical power over women and there's not going to be a lot any of us can do about that in the short term. Mm. So can we really just allow them to stop having so much more power in the world than we have? So I think I am hopeful. I am hopeful in part because I've spent so much time thinking about deep time. And when you pull the camera back from our current thrashing and eddies in the, you know, the pushback against feminism, right? When you pull the camera back, you can see the trajectory. We are moving towards more sex egalitarian societies in the long run. I'm not discounting all of the horrors we're facing right now as females. We really, really are. And we can do better by our women and girls. But if you look over the last few hundred years, if you even look at our physiology over the last few millions of years, we are moving towards more sex egalitarian societies. And so I I do put my faith in that, even as I want to keep my foot on the pedal to make sure we don't slow down. That is Kat Bohannon, and she ends there by saying that women need to just gather their strength and reclaim back from men all the power we've allowed them to have over the years. The thing is, I wish we'd had more time with Kat in a way because I'm not sure we had much choice about giving them all the power. I'm not sure we gave it. I think they just took they it. Took it. Mm. But, I mean, look, we just it's like the Open University, isn't it? We could go on all night. I think we are doing our very best, certainly within this room, to grab back what we can in a smash and grab. Well said, Jane. So join Mulcairins and Garvey at the same time tomorrow, or indeed whenever the hell you like, uh, to catch up with Off Air. We're very grateful to you. Some really, really interesting emails over the last couple of days, so please keep them coming. Um, sexuality particularly, because I just think that's interesting and we don't often, we don't always discuss it in the way we should. Do not use gay women as a respite centre from men. It's just not on. That is fair, isn't it? Absolutely fair. Yeah. Jane and Fee at Times.Radio. Have a good night. You did it. 
elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuinely interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us, and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com